This is Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and in this week's episode, we're reviewing The Little Things, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies, this week being The Little Things. Little things, but a big movie. Absolutely. Huge cast. Huge Mm. cast. The movie is about Kern County Deputy Sheriff Joe Deacon, who's sent to Los Angeles for what should be a quick evidence-gathering assignment. Instead, he becomes embroiled in the search for a serial killer who is terrorising the city, and he ends up facing his own demons in the process. Now, it's written and directed by John Lee Hancock. He's the writer-director of the Oscar-winning film The Blind Side, also films The Alamo and the wonderful Saving Mr. Banks. He directed that film mm. with Tom Hanks a couple of years ago as well. Now, this movie stars Denzel Washington, the king, Rami Malek <laughs> and Jared Leto. Now, from my perspective, just to kick things off here, mm. this film had success written all over it. It had a strong, compelling trailer, a trio of Oscar-winning actors, and a 90s set whodunit detective thriller premise at its Mm. core. But it was clear from the beginning for me that this was never going to live up to the dizzy heights that it positioned itself at face value. Oh, dear. Lee, how on earth did this end up being an uncompelling clusterfuck snooze fest is beyond me, and I'm really keen to understand your thoughts here. Tim, I appreciate your point of view, but you're incredibly wrong. <laughs> oh, not again. <laughs> this is a, a classic whodunit. All right, I'll give you that it's not an original story, okay? Mm-hmm. We've seen elements of this before, but don't you just love to see Denzel at work? It's been too long, it feels like, even though I think his last big budget film was The Equalizer 2 in 2018. Wow. It feels like a long time since we've seen him on screen and this is him in his element. These movies in the 90s were his bread and butter. All right. So clearly we're coming into this review on different ends of the fence. And to be honest, these are my favorite kind of reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Our last episode was Greenland, which Lee and I weren't on the same page with, and uh, it's fantastic, (laughs) fantastic content. (laughs) So just on Denzel. Yeah. He looked bored as fuck. And Are you kidding? Yeah, he looked so bored and disengaged, and his story arc was so weak, it just took forever to get anywhere. And in the end, I just didn't care. Wow. Mm. Didn't care about Denzel. No, I didn't, which is awful because I think he is, what do you call him, the king, the man? Like, I agree. (laughs) He's a fantastic actor. He's the male equivalent of Meryl Streep. Okay, look, I'm not going to fight you on that. (laughs) Ding, ding. (laughs) Round one. Because Mm. I think that, in essence, he kind of is. I mean, Meryl is Meryl. She is the absolute Mm. best. I just didn't think that this was a very good film at all and and Denzel just kind of... um, disappointed me here. Is it because the pacing was a bit slow? It's a slow burn, I'll give you that. But I think that's important in these procedural thrillers. You need to unwrap things a little slower than you would in a big budget action. Yeah, the pacing I had a serious issue with. For me, the film just felt really disjointed. The editing Mm. was atrocious where characters are and end up felt really jarring. There's a moment with Rami Malek in the beginning where... Mm. They've parked him in and he's got the shits 
And then what feels like a moment, he's doing like this press conference and Mm. it just didn't feel like it gelled together. Like the editing, the scenes and the whole pace of it just felt very uh, mismatched. And there it is again, that sense of time and spatial awareness really, (laughs) really grinded my gear sleeve. Look, I'll give you that definitely. For Rami's character, I found it hard to see him beyond Freddie. Like he gave mm. such an incredible performance as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yeah. I did find it hard to separate him from that in this film. I don't know whether it's because that was quite yeah. recent or because I haven't seen a lot of his other work. I mean, he's a fantastic actor. He's an Oscar winner. But I found it hard to separate that. And I never understood his motivation, his character's motivation. In this film, he plays a hotshot detective who ends up with this really difficult case to crack, a serial killer. And he just welcomes Denzel's character in to help him. Now, Mm. you would expect that he would be quite territorial about it and not want to share any of the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, I got sense and flavours of that position of him as a character but then almost far too easily and a little bit confusingly he did invite Denzel into the mix a a little too easy Mm. because he was kind of positioned even how other characters were kind of blowing smoke up his own ass or referencing Rami Malek's character saying how much of a hot shot he was Mm. that quickly dissolved because he he kind of relied on Denzel. He needed Denzel more than he probably realised he did or mm. wanted to perceive that he did. But I'd just like to um, dig into Rami's performance a little bit more. Mm. You did say that you didn't quite understand his character motivation so much. Mm. I could barely understand what he was saying half the time. Yeah, okay. Yep, I'm going to agree with you there. And that was a shame. What was that about? Was it a terrible sound mix or sound recording? Or was he just not paying attention to his his diction? I, I, I couldn't really figure out why. I was squinting and leaning in to try and hear what he was trying to say. It was very yeah. weird. And it's quite important in a film like this. You need the dialogue for that exposition. Oh, 100%. If you miss a key piece of plot or detail, you can almost find yourself lost in the woods uh, without realising. And I think that that really worked against the the pacing and the clarity of this story and plot when a character, you kind of heard every second sentence they were saying. <laughs> I just want to go back to the story for a second. Mm. The film is quite morally ambiguous. It leaves you to draw your own conclusions at the end and that can really infuriate people. So I want to play What's My Generation with you because I grew up in these kind of films. <laughs> was that something that didn't quite work for you? What, the whole 90s aesthetic it was trying to go for? Well, that too, but more the fact that it's an open-ended sort of ending. Okay, I have no problem with ambiguity. I actually prefer that in a film where Mm. it's up to you as the audience to come up with your own conclusion and you're given a few paths to look through or a Mm. couple of doors to peer through and think, oh, is that the ending I'm supposed Mm. to go with or is it this door, is it that door? I love that. Yeah, me too. So I had no issue there. I just think that it had so much potential in the genre of detective story it just never delivered a compelling story from my point of view and I think it really let the genre down so despite it leaving this open-ended position for you kind of like how I felt about Denzel and his character I just one didn't understand what the fuck was going on or two care (laughs) 
this movie has been in the works for almost 30 years. I mean, I guess that's why it was set in the 90s. It got stuck there and didn't move on. But That's interesting. Has it been in development for 30 years? Mm-hmm. Originally, it was written for Steven Spielberg to direct and wow. he turned it down because it was too dark. And it's certainly a really dark film. It is a really dark film. You are right. I just didn't feel the darkness come over me because it just didn't really? deliver. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to undermine the awful kind of uh, crimes that were being committed to these women across the series, but mm. it just didn't have enough grit to it, I don't think. And interesting that you say it's been in development for 30 years because this, from a tone perspective, felt like a movie that was literally made in the 90s They shelved it, forgot about it, and decided to release it 30 years later, and it just didn't age well. (laughs) I see what you're saying, yeah. I mean, it asks this very big question about is justice still considered justice if you don't get closure, Mm. which is a dark concept. That really is a dark concept, and without spoiling anything, kind of how the film comes to an end, it really, really challenges your position on that Mm. concept itself and how you feel about these characters yeah and what does closure mean to one person versus another and what is the interpretation of that closure Mm. and imprinting or imposing that on someone else it's i agree it's a very compelling premise do you want to talk about the character design you were talking about the 90s aesthetic Mm. Jared Leto in particular felt like a 90s serial killer he was very Manson-esque wasn't he I know Manson wasn't the 90s, but Mm. greasy hair, sallow eyes, no shoes. I think it really worked and it seemed like he was having a lot of fun with this movie. Lee, you always indulge me and I'm going to ask you to indulge me once again. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Jared Leto was his usual weird and wonderful character actor self. Mm. And I think that he was the strongest part of this film. He was, in one word, I would say he was he was brilliant. He was the most interesting part of this film. He's an okay. incredible character actor. However, he was just so out of place in the context of this wider film in terms of his performance. It never felt right. He was incredibly melodramatic. And it just didn't <laughs> stack up against anything else that was going on in the film from a tonal point of view. He almost okay. felt like... He thought he was in a different movie to anything else that was going on around him. But he's nowhere near Joker level Leto, is he? Oh, God, no. Nowhere near Joker level. He was very compelling to watch. I would, I would give him that. Yeah, definitely. But his aesthetic was unreal. Like, I think he, he had this... Uh, his face was really interesting. The prosthetic makeup that they had there, it kind of made me staring at him a lot mm. more than I was anticipating. He kind of just looked a little bit off. He just looked a little bit different to his normal face, but not too obvious. I think it was dark contacts. His eyes were very dark. Mm, very Beady. hollow eyes. Yeah. Mm. It certainly played into his um his whole shtick with the character he was going with. All right, Tim. Well, I think I know what this summary is going to sound like, but give it to me anyway. Once again, please indulge me, Lee. Okay, so everything about this film had me lost and confused and it was an absolute punish to watch. Wasted talent, premise and execution had nothing going for it at all from my perspective. For me, it really ended up in this realm of ridiculousness, especially in the final act. It was outrageous and made no sense and did not deliver the punch it was so clearly trying to provide. 
all that achieved was more confusion and a disengagement from me about a story and its characters that never made sense. I think that the little things were missing here. Little things such as clear, coherent plot and interesting characters (laughs) in a film that needed to make sense. Those are the little things I failed to find in this film. And so I'm going to wrap up by giving the little things a one and a half. And that half is really only because Jared Leto was just this glimmer of hope somewhere in this absolute clusterfuck of a film that was worth watching. Oh, my goodness, Tim. (laughs) Wow. I had to cover my mouth to stop from laughing at that. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I tried to like this movie, but I just couldn't. But, Lee, throwing to you, I'm really keen to hear your little wrap-up here. Well, considering everything that you just said, some may call it unoriginal, which is a grave sin in my book, you know this. But in this case, I think the word is familiar. Mm. It's a familiar genre. It's a familiar performance from Denzel Washington. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. The actors are in fine form in this film. Three Oscar winners, as we said, you can't expect anything less from them. The Little Things would have been right at home in the 90s, though, where it's set. It's a little bit dated, I'll give you that, but the crime doesn't fit the punishment, I think. Mm. So I'm going to give it three popcorn kernels. <laughs> you work in such beautiful sound bites, Lee. Uh, there was a lot to <laughs> lot to grab out of there. You'll hear those in our upcoming audiograms, I'm sure. <laughs> well, The Little Things is in cinemas from February 18. Decide if you want to see it. All right, Lee, so off the back of that fine forensic analysis of a film review, let's leap right into some really exciting movie and trailer news, big trailer news this week with the Super Bowl happening. Uh, But first cab off the rank, some pretty exciting casting news has come from Paramount this Mm. week with Michelle Rodriguez and Justice Smith set to star alongside Chris Pine in the film adaptation of Dungeons and Dragons, which is Hasbro's wildly popular game franchise. I'm really curious to see what they do with this. Now, you mentioned the Super Bowl. Everybody was watching the Super Bowl, but we were also watching the trailers and sneak peeks that were dropped during the advert breaks. We got a trailer for Fast and Furious 9, which is coming very soon to cinemas, and it showed Cypher, played by Charlize Theron, enlisting the help of Jacob, played by John Cena, who is Dom's younger brother. Now, Cypher enlists him to take revenge on Dom and his team. And, of course, Dom is played by Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. You know, the great thing about these big game ads or Super Bowl ads, as they call them, is that they've only got 30 seconds because these spots cost an absolute small fortune. They're about $3 million in commercial airtime each for 30-second spot uh, in, in the US market. They always pack a punch. They kind of take a new angle. So there's actually quite a lot of content, even in that small window of 30 seconds, where you're seeing new things, new insights, new character snapshots uh, of this Fast 9 film. And it just looks more bonkers than ever, to be honest. Mm. Very excitingly, we got our first look at M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Old. However, true to form, the film's plot is really, really under wraps. Now, Mm. it just kind of teased at a lot of drama it's set on this beach and their kids keep getting older and older and it all seems Mm. very confusing weird and wonderful you didn't really get much out of this though but what was your take on your first look at this uh new m night Shyamalan film it really felt like his film didn't it yeah it felt very much 
the aesthetic of his kind of film, I agree. Mm. We also got a trailer for Nobody that stars Bob Odenkirk as a mild-mannered man whose repressed rage comes bursting out when his family is attacked. This also stars Connie Nielsen and Christopher Lloyd. It's going to be really interesting. Really interesting. I am here for Christopher Lloyd amongst anything else here. I <laughs> uh, can't wait to see him in the context of this big, loud, obnoxious mm. action film. And, you know, he's an old timer now, so keen to see what he brings <laughs> to this uh, pretty compelling concept. I got flavours of uh, Gina Davis in The Long Kiss Goodnight without the amnesia. <laughs> You know, secret assassin vibes. Yeah, definitely. It This kind of had a bit of a 90s vibe to it as well, don't you mm. think? Kind of on a bit of a 90s choo-choo train in this episode. We also got another look at Raya and the Last Dragon. Do you want to talk us through that? Yes. Yeah, so this one, again, offered a new window here. So in a realm known as Kamandra, a reimagined earth inhabited by an ancient civilization, a warrior named Raya is determined to find the last dragon. You've got a lot more character flavours in here, a lot of colour and excitement in this upcoming Disney and Disney Plus release. I don't know why they keep giving us more trailers because they've already given away the whole movie. They have given away the whole movie and I feel like if you pieced the trailers together plus this big game spot, like, yeah, there's nothing more to watch. (laughs) We also got another trailer for Coming to America, which, of course, stars Eddie Murphy reprising his role as the African monarch from Zamunda, who learns that he has a long-lost son in the United States and he has to go back to America to meet this unexpected heir and build a relationship with his son. Now, this really focused on Eddie Murphy once again doing his Mm. whole shtick about playing multiple characters with fantastic prosthetic makeup. Mm. It's just going to be an absolute wild ride. And we don't see Eddie Murphy in enough films these days. And I think this is going to be kind of in the vein of Bill and Ted, where it was great to see the band back together sort of thing, looking at an 80s, 90s type Mm. film back in this weird, wonderful 21st century world. Uh, I'm pretty keen for this one. How about you? Yeah, definitely keen, but it's a strange tightrope to walk, isn't it, when you bring a movie that's probably a bit dated, to be honest, Mm. in terms of its comedy. It was one of the better ones, but when you bring it into modern times, it's always a little dangerous, isn't it? Very dangerous territory. But I think that when you've got all the original cast all back, they kind of can offer that new way of looking at old content that Mm. feels fresh and you're kind of a little bit more open to it coming back into the world 30 years later. Mm. And I mean, Eddie's just probably wanted to make this sequel for a long time and he's got the opportunity to. And I feel like it's just one of those projects where old timers just want to have some fun and not be serious and just kind Mm. of, yeah, go with it. A good dose of nostalgia. Oh, absolutely. Here for it. Some sad news. Disney is shutting down Blue Sky Studios, which is the studio that brought us animations like Ice Age and Rio and the Peanuts movie. This was expected, I guess, because they have Pixar and other animation studios. But how do you feel about this? I think it is sad because Blue Sky has developed a lot of really successful animated franchises like the ones Mm. you've listed. It's sad that the curtain has to close on that, but it makes sense from an acquisitions point of view when businesses combine and you need to consolidate your overhead costs. Mm. Uh, But hopefully that it means that some of those key creative people 
find their way into the other animation arms, Walt Disney Studios and Pixar, mm. and can continue telling these really fun stories for, for families across yeah. the world. So hopefully it's not all doom and gloom for the team. More on Disney now. The studio is working on an animated Night at the Museum film for its streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. The story will follow Larry's son, Nick, as he struggles with following in his father's footsteps to become a night watchman. The thing that Disney does so well, and I use the word well loosely, it's becoming a little bit tiresome, is that Mm. they are so heavily relying on established IP and they're continually telling offshoot stories, be it through animation as opposed to live action or TV series. And sometimes it works really well, Mm. but I feel like we're just being suffocated by a nostalgia and already established stories instead Mm. of nurturing original content. What do you think? Well, Pixar does that very well. They've got Pixar, which does a lot of original animations and Disney's Mm. Yeah, maybe a studio for another time. Yeah. I mean, they're doing such great new things. But, yeah, when it comes to their big budget films, the classic Disney films, yeah, maybe it is a little bit tired. Maybe we need to see some new stuff. But they really like wringing that cloth for every drop, don't they? Yeah, and you can't blame them. The IP is worth a small fortune depending on which kind of arm of the business that they're looking to exploit, be it Marvel, Star Wars, and even like the sequel potential for a lot of Pixar's classic original Mm. content. So it doesn't surprise me that they're touching on some of the inherited franchises that Mm. 20th Century Fox has, has afforded them through their acquisition. But you know, the most noise comes from an audience and whether they're engaged in seeing these stories being told in the same, same, but different way. Mm. So only time will tell to see how, where the pendulum falls towards Mm. original and pre-existing content stories. Now you're very excited about the Oscars coming on April 25th. I am too. We can't wait. (laughs) I am fist pumping the (laughs) air. We've had some plans revealed for how exactly that's going to come off on April 25th. Things are becoming a little clearer now. It's been revealed Mm. that the ceremony will broadcast live from multiple COVID bubble locations, including the landmark Dolby Theatre in LA. You have to have to do some stuff there. Oh, 100%. I mean, this is just the new way of doing things right now with award shows. And it's a chance for first-time Oscar producers to flex their creative muscle. We've got Steven Soderbergh involved in bringing Mm. uh, this year's Oscars ceremony to life. And he's an incredibly inventive filmmaker. So I think it's in really good hands here. Can't wait to see what they bring us. It's a chance to really think outside of the box and do something special and shake up the ceremony. I mean, there's been criticism in the past that it's a bit tired and it's a bit, you know, outdated to use that word again. Uh, But Mm. now's a chance to really modernise it and do some clever things. And there's a lot of pressure and the expectation, rightfully so, is on the Oscars. It is the primo creme de la creme of awards ceremonies. Mm. The Grammys, the VMAs, the Golden Globes. It's like everyone sit down and listen. Like the Oscars sets the agenda. And I think Mm. you're right that with the team that Soderbergh would have behind him, they've got a lot of work to do, but I'm sure they'll be able to give it a fresh lick of paint and see what happens. Can't wait. I think that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast. Tim, what do you think? I think that will do. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Oi. (laughs) I'm not calling you a pig. (laughs)
In this episode, we reviewed The Little Things starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek and Jared Leto. One of us liked it, the other one not so much. So when it hits cinemas on February 18th, we'd love to hear what you think about this film. Yes, please let us know on our social accounts. Definitely. Team Lee or Team Tim. (laughs) Team Lee. (laughs) Team Tim. All right, Lee, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio.